Well, good morning. Welcome to Calvary Baptist Church. My name is Jenny, and I serve as the minister to children here. It is a gift to be together as the family of God this morning. If you're new to Calvary, a special welcome to you. We are so glad to have you and hope to get to know you better. One way we can connect with you is if you will fill out the visitor card in the pew in front of you. We would be so glad to have the opportunity to follow up with you by email or phone, and we would also love to meet you after the service if we haven't met you already. The visitor card is also how you can let us know if you would like to know more about our ministries or if you have a prayer concern to share. Later on in the, in the service, the offering plates will be passed, and you can put those cards in the offering plate. You'll need a couple of things to navigate today's worship service. You'll need a folder that looks like this, and these are in the back, or you can raise your hand if you need one. You'll also need a hymnal, one of the blue hymnals in the pew in front of you. This past Wednesday, on what Christians all over the world refer to as Ash Wednesday, we entered into the season of Lent. Lent, the 40 days where Jesus fasted and prayed in the wilderness before beginning his ministry, is a time where we as believers also prepare our hearts for the coming of Easter. This morning on the first Sunday of Lent, we will be learning to walk in the dark, drawing inspiration from Barbara Brown Taylor's book of the same name, and also from the life cycle of a butterfly, which for monarchs takes roughly about 40 days. In fact, you may have noticed the symbol of the chrysalis several places this morning, from the giant ones hanging on the trees behind me to the one on the front of your worship folder. They are, they are a reminder that even as we walk through the Lenten season of darkness, transformation is happening. So keep watch, as the Greek word on your worship folder says, for even now, God is at work. Let us worship together the God who is transforming us even now.
God of all creation, maker of heaven and earth, you reign on high, majestic in splendor. Your light fills the earth. But still there are shadows, darkness that we cannot escape. Remind us that you are present even in the dark, bidden or unbidden, living and active even when we cannot see it. Walk with us, giver of light. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Genesis. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and, and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day, the Israelites do not eat the thigh muscle that is on the hip socket because he has struck Jacob on the hip socket at the thigh muscle. A reading from the book of 2 Corinthians. Therefore, to keep me from being too elated, a thorn was given me in the flesh, 
a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word, word of, the of the Lord. Lord. Thanks be to God. Let go through the 
calling through the storm. Oh, no, you never let go. Every high and every low. Oh, no, you never let go. Lord, you never let go of me. the children, please come join me at the front for the children's message. Well, good morning, friends. I'm so glad to see you all here this morning. You may have noticed something on the platform behind me. They showed up on Ash Wednesday, and they'll be with us for all of Lent. I also talked about them a little bit in the welcome this morning, and I'm, of course, talking about the chrysalis in those trees. But does anyone know what these creatures were before they were in chrysalis? What do you think? Caterpillars, yeah. If you've read the book, The Very Hungry Caterpillar, you know. You know what's coming. Well, and I just kind of gave it away. But what do you think these creatures are going to be when they come out of those chrysalis? A butterfly. It's pretty cool, right? But a caterpillar can't just become a butterfly without first wrapping itself up in a chrysalis. And that's where it transforms into what God made it to be. Good timing. That... That one may not be transforming into a butterfly, y'all. One of them fell. One of them fell down. But you know what? It's pretty dark inside of those chrysalis, isn't it? But that doesn't mean that beautiful things aren't still happening. We just can't see them yet, right? Because it's going on inside of that chrysalis. So friends, I want you to remember that God is with you too in times where life might feel dark, in times where you are sad or angry, confused or lonely or scared. God is right there with you, and he can transform even those dark times. God is making us even more beautiful than we could imagine in the darkness, just like the caterpillar is made a beautiful butterfly in the darkness of the chrysalis. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the reminder that we are being transformed even in the midst of darkness. Thank you for the image of caterpillars and chrysalis and butterflies. Lord, help us to walk through this season even now, remembering what is ahead. In your name I pray. Amen. Joyful is 
first year of seminary, as I was getting off uh, yet another long, boring shift at HEB and heading home to work on yet another last-minute assignment, I got a text from a dear friend and fellow Calvarian, Kristen Mayhand. She told me that the elementary school chaplain position uh, was coming open at the classical Christian school uh, she taught at. Though I didn't really want to work with kids, uh, I wanted to work with groceries less. Um, <laughs> So I quickly applied, interviewed, and got the job. I had no idea that I would find my career in that role, but I'm so grateful that I did. Upon graduating from seminary four years later, I joined the Live Oak administration as the junior kindergarten through 12th grade chaplain and director of virtue education. When I started my chaplaincy, I had no idea the darknesses it would entail. I thought the bulk of my job would be splitting up playground fights, and I've done a lot of that. Uh, Foursquare can get really intense really quickly. I never expected to help students break away from situations of abuse. I never expected to have to navigate situations with students who had found out that one of their friends had raped another one of their friends. I never expected to sit with kids as their father fought for his life after a car wreck. Nor did I expect to help them plan the funeral when he lost that fight. I never expected to get a phone call from a third grader's mom begging me to come sit with her daughter because she had just found her husband dead in the bathroom and didn't want the girl to see her father like that. I never expected to lose count of how many suicide risk assessments I'd run, nor that I'd have to tell parents that their children were dangerously close to ending their own lives. I never expected that on Ash Wednesday just a few days ago, I would mark all of these students with a cross of ashes on their foreheads and remind them that one day they would return to dust. As if, of all people, they needed that reminder. I hesitate to even talk about this because I don't want it to sound like I'm complaining. I absolutely love my job. I also hesitate to talk about it because I don't want it to sound like I'm some kind of hero or savior or even particularly great at it. What I've found is that though I really wish I could just fix these things and take the darkness away from my students, all I can really do is step into the darkness with them. And that's hard because I don't know how to see in the dark either. Over the last few weeks especially, I've come to see my job as that of making space. I can't fix my students' problems, 
nor can I force them to make the right decisions, nor can I force them into following the God who I believe can, over time, shine light along their way. However, I can make space for them to do those things. I've learned this because that's the only way I can deal with the darkness myself. A few months ago, in the midst of some of these situations, as well as other stressful life changes, I began to realize that I wasn't carrying these burdens well. Depression set in, and I needed to make space for myself to rest. For me, learning to walk in the dark looks like antidepressants. It looks like making space to get a full night's sleep as often as I possibly can. It looks like cooking big meals for those from the young adult Sunday school class that come over every Monday night to watch The Bachelor, I mean, to fellowship. <laughs> it looks like being honestly vulnerable about my imperfections and admitting my own needs. It looks like asking for help. It looks like making space for the light to come in. It looks like reminding myself time and time again that I am dust. Reminding myself time and time again that to dust I shall return. Reminding myself time and time again that it is out of the dust that our God brings life. Now, gracious God, in these moments, may the words in my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts together in this place be found pleasing to you. O oh Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> How many of you would say that you are afraid of the dark? It's actually a pretty common fear, affecting at least 11% of the population. So I would expect a few more hands to go up. <laughs> it's actually even more common than the fear of heights. And it's true, isn't it, that darkness can transform an ordinary, everyday space into something that seems different than it does in the light of day. For instance, a child's bedroom can be filled with laughter and wonder and imagination in the daytime. But in the dark, every squeak and crack can be nightmare-inducing to a child trying to fall asleep. But it's not just children who experience this phenomenon. Anyone who has been inside this church building in the dark knows what a scary place it can become, too. Calvary transforms from being a space filled with worship and shared meals and singing and conversation to a place that can feel quite haunting when the lights go out. And then when John Hunt hides these creepy clown dolls <laughs> in the ceiling tiles of your office, that makes it all the more disturbing. <laughs> but what is it that we are really afraid of? Is it the absence of light or is it something else? Psychologist Alicia Clark says that darkness impairs our vision, which makes us inherently uncomfortable. And so she says we are not so much afraid of the dark as we are afraid of what is in the dark that we cannot see. 
Our minds begin to wander with all different kinds of possibilities of what might be lurking around the corner, what in the world made that creaking sound, or what may be hiding in the closet or underneath the bed or in the ceiling tile above my desk. (laughs) But actually this way of thinking about the darkness has been passed down to us from generations. Simon Rego, who is the chief psychologist at the Einstein College of Medicine in New York, says that fear of the dark is likely evolutionary, that our earliest ancestors were more at risk of being confronted by predators in the dark when enemies could best catch people by surprise. So the fear has legitimate origins. We tend to feel more uneasy in situations when we are vulnerable to being attacked. And for our earliest ancestors, this was much more likely to happen in the dark. Which is exactly what happens in today's scripture reading. When Jacob is suddenly attacked by a stranger in the dark. But it's important to know some of the backstory that has led up to this moment. You may remember the story of Jacob and his twin brother Esau. Jacob is known for stealing the birthright of his brother Esau by tricking their father Isaac into giving him the blessing that was intended for his brother, who was the firstborn child. And the last words that Jacob has heard from Esau in Genesis 27 or that Esau is planning to kill Jacob for what he has done. Several years later, Jacob sends word to his brother Esau that he's coming to see him, hoping he can finally make things right between them. And Esau immediately responds with an army of 400 men. (laughs) He means business. And so Jacob, who is rightfully terrified, sends his servants to take a portion of his inheritance as gifts to Esau, hoping this might help to win him over. But when he hasn't heard back from Esau, he then takes his wives, and yes, that's wives, plural, and his children to cross the river and send them up ahead, which seems pretty sketchy to me that he would send his family to go on up ahead toward this army of 400 men. (laughs) But then again, Jacob always has a trick up his sleeve. His name literally means heel because he came into the world with his hand wrapped around his brother's heel and he's been trying to outsmart him ever since. So finally, Jacob is alone in the dark when all of a sudden Jacob can't balance on his own two heels quite so easily and is knocked down by a stranger who begins to wrestle with him in the middle of the night. Now we are never told the stranger's name, but he is quite the rival for Jacob, strong enough to knock his hip out of joint. Jacob asks him twice to reveal himself, but the stranger won't say his name. Until the morning light begins to come, and Jacob is still hanging on, and the stranger finally says to him, Okay, let me go. It's almost daylight. It's as if the stranger knows he can't be seen by the light of day. Maybe he knows that things don't often appear in the day as they do in the dark. But Jacob calls out to him, Not before you give me a blessing. And so the stranger says to him, okay, your name is no longer Jacob. From now on, you will be called Israel because you have wrestled with God and you have prevailed. And suddenly we know the stranger's divine identity. I wonder how many of us feel as if we too have wrestled with God in the night. I wonder how many of us are wrestling with God right now. Maybe we've wrestled with a deep pain or loss and we just don't know how to go on. Maybe we have wrestled with an injustice in our community or world, something that just isn't right, and try as we might, we don't know how to fix it. Maybe we've wrestled with a question for which there just aren't easy answers or simple solutions. 
Some of my seasons of wrestling with God in the night have been times of not knowing what's coming next. Needing to make a big decision, preparing for a difficult situation, or waiting for a particular challenge to play out. It's it's not knowing what is coming or when it is coming that keeps me tossing and turning in the middle of the night because I feel so out of control. Because once I know what's coming, as difficult as it may be, I can make a plan and I can begin to wrap my mind around it. But not knowing always leaves me feeling like the tectonic plates of my life are shifting, which can feel overwhelming. And I can't help but wonder if this is something like what Jacob must be feeling. He doesn't know what's ahead of him. He doesn't know if his brother will forgive him. He doesn't know if he will call off the 400 men coming to kill him. He doesn't know how Esau will respond to the gifts he has sent with his servants. Jacob has sent his entire family to go before him, and all of a sudden his whole life is completely up in the air. And yet, this text reminds us that our God does not leave us stranded in these moments. Even in the midst of our own wrestling, we follow a God who wrestles with us. Like Jacob, our God shows up with us in the middle of the night, unannounced, and stays by our side until daybreak. But then what do we do with the fact that Jacob evidently wins the fight against God? I mean, does that mean that God in turn loses? And if so, what does that say about God? Carl Gregg says this story tells us about a God who takes the form of a human. A God who is humble enough to have self-limited power in order to meet humans on a level playing field. This seems like an odd sort of deity, he says, of this Old Testament text. But this God sounds quite familiar to us, especially as we begin this Lenten journey with Jesus toward the cross. And the new name that this God gives Jacob is Israel, which literally means God strives. Jacob's very name now indicates that his God, the God of his ancestors, is one who is willing to enter into the fray and to strive with human beings. His God is the one who will stay up with him in the night, who will wrestle with him in the midst of doubt and fear, and who will bless him in the morning because the God of Israel strives with him. But even though we may have won the fight, This experience does not leave Jacob unchanged. Yes, he has been blessed, but the text says that because of this encounter with God in the night, Jacob will always walk with a limp. And isn't that true of our own experiences in the darkness as well? Even with God by our side, when life becomes hard, it can't help but to change us. Experiences of pain and loss change something about us that will never quite be the same again. I once had someone tell me that after a significant experience of pain in her life, the skills that she had once worked so hard on developing throughout her life suddenly changed. Things she once loved and excelled at doing didn't come as naturally to her anymore. She said, it's as if I'm reaching for a tool in my tool belt. I've had it right there at my disposal my whole life. I know exactly where I keep it, but now I reach down and I realize it's not there anymore. And it's in those moments I remember again that I've been changed forever by this loss. But even though the dark will forever change us, We can and we must learn to take that next brave step forward in it. Writer Anne Lamott says it this way. She says, if you haven't already, you will lose someone you can't live without. And your heart will be badly broken. And the bad news is that you never completely get over the loss of your beloved. But there is also good news. They live forever in your broken heart that doesn't seal back up. And you come through. 
It's like having a broken leg that never heals back perfectly, that still hurts when the weather gets cold. But you learn to dance with a limp. Friends, how have your times in the darkness changed you? Or how are they changing you? What have you gained from wrestling with God in the night? And what have you lost? And how are you learning to walk with the limp that you have as a result? Please hear me out here because I do not want to say that everything happens for a reason. Or that the awful, heartbreaking things that happen in our world are all just part of God's perfect plan for our lives. Because I can't look you in the eye and say any of those things. And I don't believe them, not for one second. But I do believe with every fiber of my being that we cannot be people who only live in the light. We cannot develop a solar-powered spirituality that only works when life is sunny and bright. Yes, the light is absolutely a valuable and important part of our faith journeys. Here at Calvary, we spent the season of Advent watching and waiting for the light, progressively lighting the candles of our Advent wreath each week. We spent January living in the light and considering our challenge to carry Christ's light with us into the world. But now and for the next six weeks, we will spend the season of Lent in the darkness realizing that there will come some times in our journeys where there is no light in sight. And there are some lessons from God that you and I can learn only in the dark. That is why I think you and I must do the hard work of developing a faith that is absolutely well acquainted with the dark. So that when darkness comes, and believe me, it absolutely will, we will know how to take that next brave step forward, even if it means learning to dance with a limp. Barbara Brown Taylor says it this way in her book, Learning to Walk in the Dark. She says there's a lot of what happens these days that I would call spiritual bypassing, where one offers a religious formula that will help you stay on top. But I cannot sell out the Christian message, which at its heart says that when the bottom drops out and you're screaming out to God, there's more. It says that if you are willing to enter the cloud of unknowing and meet God in the dark, maybe even in the dark of a tomb, you might be in for a surprise. She later says, I have learned things in the dark that I never could have learned in the light, things that have saved my life over and over again. So there is really only one logical conclusion here. I need darkness as much as I need light. And you know, if the psychologist I quoted at the beginning is right, if we aren't necessarily afraid of the dark as much as we are afraid of what our eyes cannot see in the dark, perhaps we need to spend this season of Lent allowing our eyes to adjust a bit. Because when all the lights go out and the room goes dark, at first you can't see anything at all. But over some time you begin to make out some figures and some shapes. You can hold your hand in front of your face and slowly start to make the outline. You slowly become more aware of your surroundings and you become more confident that if you can just take one step forward, you'll all be okay. And so let's do that together this Lent, Calvary. Let's learn to walk in the dark. Let's learn to dance with a limp trusting that the God who wrestles with us is by our side, ready to offer a blessing at the break of day. And so God, I ask that whatever darkness we carried with us in this room today, you would remind us that we are not alone. God, meet us in the dark. If we know a friend who is in a particularly dark place right now, Help us to reach out a hand and let them know they are not alone, too. God, help us to know how to follow after Jesus, 
in darkness and in light. How to trust in Jesus even when we can't see the way forward. And to trust that dawn will come. We ask all these things in your name and for the sake of your kingdom. Amen. Well, if you're not sure how to take that next step forward in the dark, our ultimate guide for this kind of work is Jesus. Jesus invites us to trust and to follow him in these moments. And if you would like to talk more with one of our ministers about that, we would love to visit with you in the back of the sanctuary. Or maybe you would like to become part of our faith community here at Calvary, where we seek to follow Jesus together in light and darkness and all the times in between in the best ways we know how. We would love to welcome you into our church family today. However God leads you to respond, our ministers will be in the back of the sanctuary, ready to visit with you and pray with you as we continue in worship. Dear Lord, 
We give thanks for the opportunity to worship together this morning. We are thankful for the peace that comes only from knowing you. In moments when this world looks dark, we remember that you are still present and you are the light of the world. Let us give our offerings to you with a joyful heart, thankful for this opportunity to participate in the work you are doing through our church. In Jesus' name, amen.
God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Calvary, as we go today, a few things to remember. First, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who joined us for Ash Wednesday. I think it was about double what we normally have, and it was such a meaningful way to begin the, the Lenten season together. So thank you for being part of that. Um, I encourage you to look at your announcement sheet, lots of um, information about things that are coming up in the life of the church. This Wednesday, we're having another student preaching series, and this week is Juliana Maricino. Uh, Juliana is our intern through the Center for Church and Community Impact at the Garland School of Social Work. And so she's been doing a lot of work with John Hunt and with the missions team and Samaritan Fund team, but many of us haven't met her. Would love for you to be there Wednesday night to encourage her in her call to ministry. Um, and then last announcement, Lebanon. If you are at all interested in journeying with us this summer, talk to John Hunt. I know he would be thrilled to share more about that. I know folks who have been on that trip before would be thrilled to share more. We are really hoping to take a strong team from Calvary this summer and would love to talk to you about that. Well, please join me in this benediction. Friends, may the God who calls you from this place journey with you as you go. May God delight in you with joy, bringing unimagined graces. Walk with you in darkness, shining light along your way. May God be close to you in pain, giving strength for every moment. And comfort you in fear, granting courage to be brave. May God's love surround you. May Christ's mercy astound you. And may the spirit abound in you, so that you live in the fullness of the God who is with us always. Amen. Oh, God.